Okay, here we go. Uh, welcome to another edition of... Well, let me start again. Hey guys, uh, welcome to another edition of Culture Class Podcast, uh, the podcast where we get to talk to people from different backgrounds, get to learn about other cultures and travel experiences, stuff like that. Uh, today I have another guest. Uh, welcome to the podcast, Max. Thank you. Uh, glad to be here now, sir. Gotcha. How's your weekend been so far? Uh, it's been good. Soccer is back, so I get to sit on my couch and watch other people run. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and soccer is not really like a popular sport here in the U.S., right? Yeah. And we're going to talk about how you like got into the whole soccer thing uh, in a bit. So, but what 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 games did you watch? Like yesterday or today? Or so today? last night I watched some MLS games. That's how you know I'm addicted to soccer. Yeah, uh, right. <laughs> you, you watch the worst league in the world. <laughs> and and uh, today I got to watch my favorite team, Manchester City, play. Uh, so that was fun. Nice, nice. So, uh, wait, you're a Manchester City fan? Yes, Man City. Okay, how long have you been a fan? Like, pre-money, post-money? So, it's post-money, pre-titles. I would say 2010 is when I fell in love Post-money, pre-titles. Yes. Okay, I mean, the, the money brought the titles, I guess, but... <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, when when I started uh, following them, they hadn't won a title in 40 years, so... Yeah, I was like, yeah. You know, they're the underdogs with, with, with money. And we've seen a lot of teams in the past have a lot of money and then kind of blow it all without actually making anything happen, so... Uh, I'm glad they actually followed up and, and used that money wisely. Gotcha. What about the MLS? Do you support any teams, local team maybe? Or? Yeah, so I actually, I used to live in New York uh, for a while. So I would uh, I was a NYCFC fan. They're, they're owned by Man City, actually. Yeah. Uh, and they play in a baseball stadium. It's a little weird. Uh, <laughs> okay. I actually now have season tickets at D.C. United. So. Wait, how, how's a baseball stadium shaped? Is it like? A it's rectangle, like, or it's like it's, a diamond kind of. It's like yeah, kind of like a diamond. It's it doesn't fit like the sight lines are all off. So like you're sitting like it, the worst place to sit in the soccer game is the best place to sit in the baseball, in the baseball game, game. Just, just oh. because the angles are all changed. Gotcha. <laughs> oh, that must be funny. Yeah. Is it the same NYC team that Henry played for? Well, that was the Red Bulls. Well, that was Red Bulls, but yeah. that's also in New York, right? They actually play in New Jersey, like across the river, so oh, gotcha. it can get a little hard to get there. But I, I've been in some of their games too. Oh, okay. Okay. Welcome to the podcast, man. Thank you. And uh, it's funny, Max and I, uh, so Max Lewis, by the way, Yes. Uh, we both met, what, yesterday? Or yeah, Friday. Friday, yeah, two days ago. So <laughs> while recording this on Sunday, uh, we actually met uh, in D.C. at a party, a birthday party. Yeah. And, you know, we just had all these conversations uh, surrounding Afrobeats, and I was just, you know, amazed to know how his knowledge on like Afrobeats and you know things pertaining to Africa. Apparently, you had like a, a Ghanaian roommate, thing yeah, like that. Exactly. So yeah, we're gonna get into all that uh, in a while. But um, tell me about growing up. Like, what's your story? Like, where did you grow up? Uh, yeah. What did you call home? Tell me a bit about your parents, all that good stuff. So I I was born and raised in a town called Ann Arbor, Michigan. So kind of about a hundred thousand people, Midwest. Not too remarkable. The main thing that it's known for is having a university. Uh, the University of Michigan uh, is, is based there, about 30,000 oh. students there. So Is that where Michigan State is too? Um, Michigan State's about an hour away in East Lansing. Uh, oh, okay. But yeah, University of Michigan is yeah right down the road. Uh, and it, it's, a, it's a very big school. So my, both my parents worked there growing up. Oh, wow. Um, so it's a college town pretty much. Oh, yeah. It's college town as it can get. It's like stereotypical college town. And is, is is uh college sports a thing there too, like football, like American football? Exactly. So it's actually the big it has the biggest American football stadium in the world, uh, is there. So, wow. Uh, about a hundred and 
10,000 people usually show up for each game. Who so, plays? Is it a college sports or yeah. like a professional team? So think of this, 110,000 go each weekend to watch people play sports who don't get paid to actually play the game. So wait, 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 wait. This is ridiculous. Wait, this is not like an actual NFL team. This is college, college sports. sports. From the University of Michigan. Yes. 100,000 people. A week. That's bigger than the Bernabeu, I think. Yeah. It's, it's bigger it, than the um, Emirates. is about 120, 130. Yeah. And so it's, it's, it's among the biggest stadiums, period, in the world. Uh, and it's the biggest for American football in the world. Wow. And, and you're trying to explain that these college athletes don't get, they get a scholarship to play sports in school, but they don't actually get paid. And no. it's been a thing between the athletes and like the NCAA for a while to like get to pay them. And if you think about the money they make, the average ticket is about $85. So times 100000 <laughs> And so think of all the money the university makes. <laughs> I'm even thinking about the money from the TV rights, right? Because yeah. the TV rights are crazy. Because I hear, like, there's a whole March Madness thing and a whole bunch of people. I don't know what the stats are, but besides the Super Bowl, some people might argue that, you know, some numbers of some college games are actually higher than yeah. actual NFL games. So it's 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 crazy. It's an intense. And I would say going there to those games is what made me fall in love with sports in general. So I'm yeah, because sports fan. Because I was gonna ask, like, did it break your parents' heart that you grew up in a football town, like American football, or ended up falling in love with soccer, which is like another kind of football? No, <laughs> I, actually, my dad. So a funny story. My dad actually was like, we, we should we should have stayed with soccer <laughs> because, <laughs> because he's he's actually a huge soccer fan now too. We, we both watch both sports, but. Uh, Oh, nice. Yeah, it's, it's funny because I used to play soccer. That was the first sport I ever fell in love with playing as a kid. I probably started playing when I was five. Um, and when I was growing up in America, I didn't know like there was professional soccer. They didn't have the Premier League and La Liga on TV back then. Yeah. Uh, and so the only soccer we could watch was the World Cup. And I remember. Wait, so you had to wait four years to watch. <laughs> and so I remember as a little kid watching the World Cup, and I remember thinking, like, what do these guys do? Like every. And between every four years, like, are they, like, plumbers and taxi cab drivers? And Some teams, actually. Um, I think what World Cup, was it World Cup or Euro? I think it was, like, Euro 2004 or something. Like, the team, the Icelandic, is, I'm not, I don't know if I'm saying that right. Yeah. The Icelandic team, a bunch of them, like, had other jobs. Yeah, because, yeah, yeah I sports, think the coach is a dentist. Yeah, <laughs> soccer in Iceland is not, like, really a big thing. So maybe, you know, yeah. a bunch of them do. And so I remember I was actually very good at soccer too. I was one of like I actually used to go to the University of Michigan soccer camp for free every summer. Wow! Because they they wanted me to end up playing the team. On, uh, but that was like you know when I was really young, and I quit playing soccer because I watched I started watching football, and I'm like, wow, these players make so much money, and it's an actual sport. Uh, and it wasn't. Do they do? Not as much as the and NBA. So again, my dad. Had, he'd never even heard of soccer growing up. I was the first soccer game he ever saw was when my sister, who's older than me, started playing gotcha. uh, as a little kid. Uh, so there, we had no idea that you could actually—it was actually a real, like a professional sport. Uh, there was no MLS back then. Yeah, we used to. My dad used to actually take me to a professional soccer league in the U.S. back then, which was they didn't know how to make soccer for an American market, so they had like three-point lines if you shot from a certain distance. What? <laughs> And I remember being like, that does, I don't like that's that. Like a, <laughs> yeah. That's like a basket soccer game. <laughs> yes, exactly. So I remember watching as a little kid, like, I don't like that. Uh, and so I kind of got turned off from soccer. And, it, and it's like one of those things, if I was born 10 years later, the landscape would have been so different. I would have been able to watch players. You know, I remember watching Ronaldo in the World Cup as a little kid. Uh, and I remember, I remember the first time, one of the first things I ever watched on YouTube 
was a Ronaldinho video of him doing all these tricks. Ooh, and I yeah, it was a beast. I, I remember thinking, like, wait, where is this? Yeah, there's, like, actual games being played it, outside it, the World Cup. Spain, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that was actually sad enough my first exposure to, oh, wow, there's actual leagues going on around the world. Yeah, like, like that combination, that Ronaldinho, Messi, Eto'o combination. Oh, oh incredible. It was with Rijkaard. Oh, I thought it was, yeah. Damn, that was, Barcelona was just... Immense. Exactly. So you went to all this like soccer, um, I'll say so- soccer camps yeah. at the University of Michigan. Did you eventually attend the University of Michigan? No. So I ended up going to uh, Syracuse University, which is in uh, New York. It's, upstate. Uh, upstate New York, kind yeah. of close to Canada. Yeah. Uh, and the reason was I just needed something new. Like my, in my hometown, it's we, my high school, like each year, um, about 300 kids from that high school end up going to the University of Michigan. And it's the kind of thing where people end up hanging out with the same kids they knew they're, since they're like three, are their best friends when they're 30, and they never leave the town and explore. And so I knew I wanted to go somewhere similar, which Syracuse was, uh, with, but actually be able to meet new people. That's probably one of the best decisions I've, I've ever made. Nice, nice. What's the percentage of people who like really venture out in America? Is it a common thing? I guess it depends on where you come from. Yeah. Uh, so the East Coast, Midwest would be kind of like different. Maybe people at both extremes, like East Coast and West Coast, maybe they tend to explore more, but people around like maybe Midwest or South, they can like grow up. And Is that correct? I, I would say in general, people really don't travel that often, except for like certain vacation destinations. So a lot of people have been to like Disneyland or Disney World or maybe some other theme park or somewhere nice with a beach they might go in the summer or spring break or something. But in general, people don't even explore really in their backyards a lot of times. So like when it was crazy for me when I lived in upstate New York, four hour drive to New York City, there are people who'd lived their whole lives, 60 year olds who'd never been in New York City. New York before. City, wow. Yeah. yeah. You know what, I can believe that because when I was in business school, like I went to all the cities within the US, I went to some international destinations also. And some people who are like Americans in my class would be like asking me, oh wow, you went to, uh, where did I go to where there was a Greek town? I think that's Detroit. Yeah, Detroit, yeah. That's Greektown, Detroit, right? Yeah. I went there and I was like, wow, Greektown was amazing. This is what blah, 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 blah. It was almost like Vegas, whatever. And they were like, oh, really? Like, and I'm like, dude, like, you're American, man. You grew up here. Like, I'm just like a visitor. And, you know. And, oh, it's crazy. When I was in grad school, I had a, 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 I met a classmate who was Chinese who took a car from New York City and just drove all the way to California. Road trip, right? Yeah, and he spent three months with his parents actually doing it. And I remember saying, you've seen more of America than Pretty much any American. One. Wait, wait, wait. He spent three months on the road. Yeah, just driving. Just oh, so stops and stops across the country. Wow. Yeah. Well, that'll be fun. I should probably do that for my podcast. Just meet different people and record and stuff. Yeah, I'm sure you'd find some really interesting things. That'd be nice. Okay, talk to me about your parents. Um, I don't know how much of your story, uh, of their story, you know, but like how they meet, um, all that good stuff. Yeah, so my background's a little interesting when I extend it to my parents because, um, so my dad is black, born in Virginia um, in the 50s, uh, and my mom was born in the Boston area. She's Jewish. Um, both of those are, wow. Yeah, both of those are okay. pretty turbulent times. So going back to Virginia, my dad, see, when he grew up, it was. He he was born actually the year after Brown versus Board of Education, which is okay. the Supreme Court decision that uh, overturned um, segregation in schools. In schools, yeah, that was Thurgood Marshall's yep. case, right? Nineteen fifty-four. Yeah, and my dad's just to show you how the slow pace of everything. My dad's school never desegregated until he got into tenth grade. 
What? Yeah, so he had never had class with a white student. Uh, okay, this is Virginia. Yeah. Okay, that's believable. The, <laughs> okay. the, the, the governor actually shut down the schools for a year rather than segregate, um, which was hard because my grandma was a school teacher too, so I lost her income for a year with that. And so when he when he got to um, college, he just decided, you know, he he's never he's like I'm not staying in the South. I want to move somewhere else. So he ended up going to a small school in upstate Minnesota. Uh, across the border from Fargo, North Dakota. Never heard of the town or the city before, but he got a pamphlet in the mail from them, and he said, sounds he right. Ventured out. Yeah, and took a 20-hour Greyhound bus to get up there. And wow, just like up. that. Yep. I guess you really do have some of your father's genes, right? <laughs> With Syria Cruz. And then, and then on my mom's side, this, uh, this interesting situation is that, in fact, in those days, Boston was a very segregated city, both racial terms and religious terms. Uh, so there's a lot of Boston is still a stagnation. Oh, very, oh yeah. It's I've explained. I, I, I yeah. If you've ever been to Boston, it's yeah. Palpable. I mean, sorry to cut you short. I mean, no. I was I went to Boston. I think in January or February earlier this year, and I was like asking the uh, guy at the lobby at the hotel, like, hey, you know, where should I like go to? And he was he was black, but yeah. he was telling me like, you know, I try to stick to Cambridge mm. uh, and try not to like. Going to Boston, I'm like it's 2019, man. What are you talking about? It's oh, it's right. it's one of those few cities in the country where you can walk down the street and feel uncomfortable in, in certain spaces. So I I know that for sure. Uh, and and uh, circle back to the, the, on top of uh, all the racial stuff back then, there was a huge amount of tension between Catholics and Jews uh, in those days. So was your dad Catholic? Uh, so my dad's actually Presbyterian. Okay. Uh, and so, but for the in, in Boston, like my mom grew up in certain neighborhoods where she couldn't go up, go to her brothers would get beat up if he was in those neighborhoods. Uh, and so she actually never met, she never met a Catholic. Uh, wow. Until she was, or actually and had actual conversation with them until college. Uh, and when she first moved to college, I remember her telling me this was the first time she ever had a Catholic friend. And like, she realized all her 18 years of bringing up and learning, like, don't, those are bad people. Don't hang out with them. And she she met her roommate. She said, wow, she's just like me. Uh, and that really opened her eyes, too. Uh, and so my mom ended up going to a school in Maine. My dad went to a school in um, upstate Minnesota. And then they actually both met in grad school at the University of Minnesota. Nice. So uh, then they moved from there to California and California to Michigan, where I was born. Did they, um, again, I like I don't know how much of the story uh, you know or you're, like, are willing to share, but how did their grandparents? Did your grandparents, like their parents, uh, like kind of like take the relationship and all that? Was it hard at first? Uh, so for my, I've never heard my dad's family side of the story. I don't think it was too big of a deal for them, honestly. Um, you know, for him to marry a white woman and a Jewish woman, it wasn't really a, I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't a deal breaker, so to speak. On my mom's side of the family, there's, some of my family members who are very, very upset about it. Um, so I remember hearing their family members that didn't talk to her for 10 years wow. after the marriage. Uh, and it was only after the marriage lasted 10 years. Like, wow, this is all of our preconceptions of how this would go. Um, and our, we're wrong that they were able to fess up. But, you know, this was in the late or early 80s. So Ronald Reagan's America, when this happened, it was very uncommon still for the interracial um relationships to take place and they i remember growing up they would tell me stories of times they'd go on road trips from minnesota to visit some friends in the south and have 
police couldn't pull them over, get refused service at restaurants. Wow. Uh, because uh, they're a black man and a white woman uh, as a couple. And do you have siblings or you're an only child? So I have one older sister. Gotcha. Yeah. Did, did you get to interact with your grandparents or your family on your mother's side as a kid? Yeah, so I would say overall I'm probably a little closer to my dad's side of the family, but I, I do know my mom's side of the family pretty well. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's one of those things, by the time I was born, it was pretty much all the wounds, so to speak, had been healed or at least papered over. So I didn't really experience it. It was only when I got a little older, my, my parents told me, you know, it wasn't smooth sailing for them, that there's a lot they had to overcome. Having that experience, like growing up, being like in the middle of everything, I know hearing the stories from uh, your, both your grandparents' side and, you know, hearing the stories from your father and your mother about being stopped over in Minnesota and things like that. Did that make you aware of race growing up? And did that change your perspective on like racial issues growing up or your parents still did their best to shield you away from stuff like that? So... I, I can tell you the first time I remember, like the first time I, as a kid, I remember understanding race or at least noticing race was I was a little, little kid and I watched the show. I don't know if you're familiar with it, it's called Cops. I think I remember what you're going to do. Yeah, when they, exactly. come, they had that bad boys yeah, thing exactly. on the beginning. Yeah, I remember exactly. Cops. So yeah. I just, there's a lot of, there's a lot of criticism of how the racial issues are handled in that show. And I just remember I was probably five or six and thinking, Wow, like all the people who are in the front seat of the cop car look like my mom's side of the family and all the people on the back seat look like my dad's side. And that's when Yeah, you were five or six. Yeah. And wow. that's when I realized like there's some kind of disparity going on here. And and I was pretty lucky in the sense that my dad was is actually a historian, uh an African American historian. Uh and so uh he was able to he studied African American history. history. Yeah. Oh, so nice. He, yeah. Uh, not just an Af historian who's African American, but yeah, his subject matter is African American history, uh, and, and specifically race uh, was was one of his top topics of expertise. So, growing up in his household, I would say it's I got pretty lucky because from a little kid, I, I had someone who was able to break things down uh, and explain things really, really clearly uh, whenever I had a question. Nice, nice. Okay, let, let's. Uh... Bring it back to the future a little bit. Yeah. Um, so you went to the University of Syracuse. Uh, what did you study? So undergrad, I actually studied uh, history and African-American studies. So oh, so you took after your, after your dad. Yeah, she off the old block. Uh, and, and so I, I took that degree. I worked at the university actually for several years in the admissions office. So read applications. What, what university? Syracuse still? Yeah, Syracuse still. Okay. And then after a few more years, I decided to go back to grad school. And I'm still at Syracuse. I went and got my information management degree and moved into a cybersecurity field. So, Oh, you're in cybersecurity. Yes. Nice. Okay, that's where all the big bucks is right now. <laughs> yes. I mean, I, I I still need to check if my Capital One account was affected. I'm sure it was. <laughs> I mean, like, they had this hack, right? I think before this, the Target hack was, like, the biggest hack. Yeah, Equifax was the oh, Equi oh, Equifax. So Target was, like, uh, small potatoes, right? Yeah, yeah, compared to Equifax, yeah. Okay, so there's all this like um, issues with cybersecurity nowadays, especially now and where like the world is going into like with IoT. Like even Tesla has had one or two incidences yep. with some of their cars. So I guess you're positioned in the right place, man. <laughs> yeah, and I, it's, it's something even before I understood the technical side of it. You know, I found this intrinsically interesting. So 
uh, it's something I'm very passionate about. And that's one thing, um, just for the sake of some of our listeners who are interested like in going into cybersecurity, from my experience, like most of my friends I know who are into like cybersecurity, they don't really have any kind of computer background. They just studied, you know, something normal, like history or they didn't study like mathematics or computer science during undergrad. Yeah. So how exactly, what did you do? What were the baby steps you took to get into those fields? Because I, I can imagine it's a bit technical in a sense. Yeah. And how did you like transition into cybersecurity from African-American studies? So, I mean, I, t- I took a few classes, which definitely helps. But even then, I would say... Where, what kind of classes uh, online? Where? Yeah, so I took like a few uh, in my grad course. I took some cybersecurity classes, so that that definitely helped. But I would say then, like the major thing I did was actually join the club. So there's a cybersecurity club in the area where it was one of the things. No expertise level needed if you're a beginner. You're just interested in cybersecurity. Where in Syracuse or in DC? In Syracuse. Okay. Uh, so I would go to there every week. What's this club called? Uh, Information Security Club. Information Security Club is that affiliated with the uh, Syracuse University? It's just like an so it is, but anyone can can come still. Okay. Uh, so I started with there. You know, met some mentors there. Uh, they take part in competitions, so I started competing. Uh, and nothing, uh, nothing lets you learn something better than when you're locked in a room for twelve hours in a competition and uh, there's money up for grabs. You can right. <laughs> do a lot of motivation to learn new skills and that. So that, right. that, that was a huge boost for me. And I'm sure most of the um, soccer games that growing up came into like play, right? Like working with teams and stuff and exactly. things like that. Some of those soft skills yeah. were there. Okay, so you took a bunch of classes, uh, educated yourself, surrounded yourself with the right people, going to the right circles, joined the club, and... Well, what exactly do you do just for context? Uh, because I, I imagine that cybersecurity is like a pretty broad profession. Yep. So my expertise is in SIM. Uh, it's a tool called like, Security Information and Event Monitoring. So essentially, it's a tool that lets you know you're being hacked. So like, mm. it's it's nice to have it. Like, you know, if you ever watch the movies and there's like a blink thing on the screen blinking, like, oh my goodness, we're being hacked. Like, that's kind yeah. of what I'm an expert at is creating some kind of dashboard or tool that lets you know an attack is ongoing because most of the time a major hack happens, you know, Capital One um, or Equifax or a lot of these ones. The reason we find out is because the information ends up on the dark web and then the company's like, oh, that's from our database. Uh, and then they realize they've been hacked. Oh, oh, so companies actually monitor the dark web to know if any pieces of information from the company filter out. Yeah, the companies and journalists. So there's a few journalists who are like really good at this. And so they'll know hacks happen before the companies do because they'll look at the data sets a bit. You know, this looks like it's from a bank because we're seeing, you know, bank account numbers, routing numbers, mm-hmm. social security numbers. And then they'll go and talk to the bank and say, does any of this data belong to you? And then the, one of the banks will be, uh, yeah, that's us. And then they say, we've been hacked, which is not the most effective way to realize yeah it's kind of like knowing your uh knowing your house is on fire when when uh it's all burnt to ashes (laughs) you kind of want to know right away so you can stop it well quick question about sim um so are you at risk like if if you can you get fired like if you get hacked because your job is just to report that there's a hack as early as possible right Uh, is and that's a bit direct but is is there like i'm trying to ascertain the job security and like sim so yeah i so right now i'm kind of helped set up these tools so once the tool is set up 
it's kind of on the people who work there every day to maintain it. But I used to work in a security operations center. Uh, and so, yeah, it was my, my job was on the line uh, every day. If, you know, if a hack happened, there's maybe, you know, we came up against the most skilled hacker of all time and then people won't hang, hold it against me because there's no way we could have caught it. But if there's a, if there was like one alert that I saw and I was like, oh, that's a false positive. I don't need to worry about this. And then it ended up being like a huge indicator. And I yeah. missed it. Then it, you, I, at least my fear was always personally, like, you know, I, I might never get a job again in this industry. <laughs> False positive. Is that a cybersecurity lingo? Yeah, exactly. So gotcha. a lot of the problem with SIMS in general is that you'll probably get a hundred alerts a day saying you're being attacked. Yeah. And then most of them are actually not attacks. I think that's what happened with the Target case, right? Because I think I did a case study about that in business school. Yeah. Um, the Target, which is like a department store here in the U.S., uh, Walmart's uh, biggest competitor. Exactly. They like had all these alerts that something's happening, and it was from a third-party vendor, and it was ignored for a couple of days, but it blew up into something else. Yeah, so their, their analyst in the, in the security operations center saw the attack, but he said, oh, this... You know, this isn't a big deal. This is that. This isn't an actual hack. This is our machine flagging something for no reason. Uh, and so um, they kind of disregarded it, and it wasn't until months later that they realized that it had actually been hacked. Okay, cool. Okay, so you hear that, guys? Um, if you're thinking about getting into the tech space, uh, I guess cybersecurity is a pretty soft landing, regardless of your background. So far, you're ready to do the work. And there are tons of jobs out there because of the way the world is going right now. Everything's digital. So um, companies are trying to protect their digital exactly. assets and things. So cybersecurity professionals are in great demand, basically. Exactly. Okay, nice. And yeah, if you're listening to this right now, do me a favor and just uh, take a screenshot of your screen and share it on social media. So whether you're listening on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, whatever, SoundCloud, uh, just take a picture of your, take a screenshot of your screen. You can share it on your WhatsApp stories or Instagram stories. Just help us uh, get the word out there uh, for the podcast. So, so Max, uh, let me talk to you about Afrobeats because yes. this was the conversation that made me <laughs> invite you uh, to the podcast, basically. How did you get to interact or know about like Afrobeat? What's the story exactly? All right, so... To start with the story, I'm going to take you back a little bit of time to when I was uh, when I first went to college at, at Syracuse. So uh, it turned out undergrad, right? Yeah, undergrad. Okay. So it turned out um, just how people meet each other and end up being friends. By the time I was a junior year, my three best friends and roommates one was from Ghana, one was from oh, was he's from New York, but his parents are originally from China. Okay. Uh, and then another one uh, is from Trinidad. Wow, those are three different. And then me and there. So, so there's an American, there's someone from the islands, someone from Asia, and someone from West Africa. Yes. Nice. <laughs> and so, uh, but it's funny, we'd all spent uh, some time in like New York or uh, somewhere on the East Coast. So we also had that kind of cultural uh, understanding from either from Boston, New York, understanding, uh, you know, the US as well. Uh, so I just hang out with them, going to parties. I started really. I'm like hearing a lot of music that wasn't just hip hop, uh, which growing up in Michigan, that's pretty much all I listened to rap, R&B, Eminem, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, and then I grew up, my dad was a huge jazz and like Motown kind of guy. Uh, so I heard that a lot. Uh, and so I started going to parties where I started hearing, you know, dance hall and soca. And I was like, 
oh, I like this. Like, this, we didn't hear this in Michigan too much. No, uh, not really. And all I knew was Sean Paul <laughs> before then. And, uh, and so actually hearing kind of the, the wealth of music uh, coming from outside the U.S., I, I started listening to music from all over the world. And it just so happened around, I would say the last like four or five years is when a lot of the you know websites I was checking in for like dance hall music, soca music, started posting more Afrobeat stuff, and then I was realizing like, wow, this is like a perfect blend of all the musics that I like to listen to. So it takes elements from hip hop, it takes elements from jazz, uh, it takes elements from dance hall, uh, and then elements from within you know West Africa's own music traditions. It kind of blends that into one thing that. Even if I don't understand all the lyrics, I can understand the music uh, on a deeper level. Uh, and that's, it's amazing for you to say that. I, I picked up on one thing you said. Um, like you growing up in Michigan, you were exposed to a certain thing and you didn't realize that um, this type of music was being made in another part of the world. Exactly. And I can tie that to what you said earlier about the World Cup and sports. Like you had no idea that uh, Ronaldinho and, you know, soccer, there was a soccer league in Spain, yeah. you know, things like that. You know, it just goes to show that, you know, sometimes it's possible for you to grow up and due to circumstances beyond your control or maybe sometimes not beyond your control. Um, you can just operate in a bubble without understanding that other things are happening in other communities, other parts of the country, other parts of the world. And obviously, uh, I, I would assume that, you know, knowing about these things through sports or music has made you open up to different communities and be, made you it made it easier to interact with people from other countries and stuff. I mean, right here, right now, doing this podcast. So, you know, uh, that may not have happened if we didn't like share that thing, common Afrobeat, bringing us together. Who knows? Now I know about cybersecurity. I might just be joining the club because of you. Yeah. And I'll pass that on to my roommate. And that's just how the whole thing grows. And, you know, uh, a long way from segregation, I guess. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's interesting the way information and ideas and knowledge can, I mean, this, the webs that we create these days is so vast um, that it's, it's kind of hard to comprehend. And I kind of circle back on, on that point. So, and, and tie in Afrobeat. So, last summer I was on a road trip with my dad. We drove from New York City. Uh, he was actually moving from New York City back to Michigan. Okay. Uh, so, eight hour drive. So, I played a game with him where I was played music. And I, I said, all right, guess what country this is? And I had music from the US. Wait, wait, wait I mean, is this still a jazz uh, enthusiast right now? Yeah. Like, kind of like, okay, yeah. okay, continue. And so he. And so I had on this playlist, I had music from the U.S., from the U.K., uh, from West Africa, and from uh, Jamaica. And so he got pretty much everyone wrong because he couldn't. I was telling him it's, there's so much blending these days where you have a, you know, some music from Africa where it sounds. First time I listened to it, I would think, oh, this sounds like a dance hall song, 100 percent. Uh, and then the, the UK, there's some songs from the UK. I'm like, this is an Afrobeats, 100%. And I'm like, Look, oh, wait, no, this, this is a British guy. Yeah. <laughs> and then you'll have songs like uh, the one that really threw him for a loop was um, what, French Montana, uh, Unforgettable. Unforgettable. You saw that was Afrobeats? That was Afrobeats, right? Yeah, exactly. He shot the video in Africa, but I'm not sure what country, but... Yeah, I don't remember what country either, but but just from the beat, he was thinking, oh, there's no way this is an American song. And I was like, nope, all American artists on here. All American. I mean, I think French is originally from Algeria, but he pretty much grew up in New York. Exactly. I mean, wow, that's that's amazing stuff. And um, let me ask who you're 
favorite Afrobeat artists. And let's just get it out there and see what's your taste in Afrobeat music as well as other music, uh, Jamaican music. Uh, you talked about, I'm not sure if it's, when you talk about UK music, you're talking about grime or just like... Because there's grime and there's also like, like I guess they call it like Afro swing, which is like, it yeah. has a little more Afrobeats kind of flavor. It's not about like... The grime music to me is a little harsh on my ears. Like the beats, they either sound like video gamey or uh, they just sound like, I, just to my ear, they sound a little like the beats just sound a little harsh. I mean, I'm from Detroit. I'll imagine you gravitate towards grime, but no, no, I, yeah, it's funny. I've I've moved away from that over. Oh, not from me. Detroit, from Michigan. Sorry, but I mean, yeah, I, I used to. I'm not from Detroit, but I would always. I'll never say I'm from there, but I always have a place in my heart. Like when it comes to sports teams, I'm so. All the Detroit teams stink, but I I watch their games anyway. I, I could tell people I'm a Detroit sports victim. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. Okay, give us a list, man. Top five. Should we say top? Let's say top five. All right. So, all right. My number one for Afrobeats right now is, is definitely Burnham Boy. Hey. Yes, I love what he's doing. Um, Have you listened to the album? Yeah, I liked his album. The the thing that like. The, but I feel like he put too many, like too many of his hits on the album that we already knew. Yeah. And so I'm like, every other song, I'm like, oh, I know this one, but it didn't make it. It didn't make it feel quite as it, new. I mean, I I agree, um, but I understand why he did it. Yeah. I mean, for someone like us, I already know most of that, those songs because I'm Nigerian, right? He he released a bunch of those songs were popular in Nigeria before they even crossed over. Yeah. And for someone like you, who's like an Afrobeat enthusiast, you know those songs. But for someone who's new. I think it's still necessary for him to like put those songs on there. So when they're discovering the album, they'll like discover other songs and get to know that the song was even popular and just gravitate towards, you know, exactly. something like that. But what, what's your like favorite song on the African Giant album? Uh, it would either be Anybody or On the Low, probably. Those, yeah. Those yeah. are two of my favorite ones. And, the two big ones. And especially because I've been to a Burn Boy concert before, those are the ones I hear. I'm like, oh, really? be really great in person. Been to a Born and Boy concert where here in DC. Yeah, actually the Fillmore in Silver Spring, so right yeah, around the corner. Yeah, I mean the always, the uh, Afrobeat artists who come here always come to the Fillmore. Uh, I think Mr. Easy was there a couple of months ago. Yeah, and and David O was there. In the da- fall. David O was there. I think Files. I'm not too sure if Files has been there. I'm but not sure. Has been there. Okay, Born and Boy. Okay, that's one. So I mean, and number two, you have to go with David O just because he's so consistent with the hits. I mean, along with Wizkid too. So uh, those are be two and three, and then I'm moving to the UK for just favorite artists outside the US. Uh, in there for four and five, interchangeable, but uh, I would have to put Dave. I don't know if you ever listened to him. Yeah, he did. He did a song with Burner Boy recently. Yeah, uh, location. location. Yeah, yeah. and I, I've been listening to Dave for a few years, uh, and then also Jay Huss is another. Oh, uh, Jay Huss is cool. Yeah, I, I love him. He he was locked up this summer. I was, I was hoping he would release an album as soon as he got out, but can't really demand that much out of someone who just got freedom. So. Yeah, yeah. No Skepta? Uh, Skepta. I'm, again, like the more grime, like hardcore stuff, I can listen to it, but I won't, not on like purpose. Uh, <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> I like the, you know, the more easygoing kind of vibes kind of music. Okay, so I guess Big Shaq is out of the question. Huh? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no Big Shaq. Man's not hot. No. <laughs> oh, that's 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 an impressive lineup. Uh, it's pretty much, uh, I mean, the heart and soul of Afrobeat, those top three right there is pretty much, uh, you know, Burner Boy, um, David O. Whiskey currently. Yeah. Uh, but Afrobeat is like one genre, right? Uh, yeah. From Africa, and there are 
a bunch of uh, house music from South Africa. Um, East Africa is doing amazing stuff, diamond platinums and stuff. Yeah. But it's just, it's, it's a good way. I mean, the easiest way to reach across since I've been doing this podcast, that's the easiest way to like interact with other coaches, like food, music. Exactly. <clears throat> Those two things and probably sports too. And me, myself, I've been also like trying to explore uh, other kinds of music. Because uh, sometimes, um, like I've been listening to, uh, Jason put me on to Damso, oh, really? which is like a Belgian uh, mm. hip hop uh, artist. He has like, he has a song, uh, I think it's Rondeville or something, Damso. He has a pretty huge artist. Of course, uh, BTS uh, with K-pop, <laughs> always a big thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So just, I've just been trying to like immerse myself. I've been listening to like Gully Rap from India. Oh wow! Yeah, they have this thing. It's kind of like grime. Interesting. Yeah, I was like, I I listen to like Indian music, traditional Indian music, so like Honey Singh and stuff. Not traditional, but like mainstream Indian music. But like, there's a genre like grime, but they call it like gully gully rap. So wow. it's kind of like Indian hardcore gangster rap. Kind of. That's, that's interesting. I've never even heard of that. Yeah, check it's, it out. it's crazy, man. Like you need to check it out. So yeah, that was that was also that was also good. Have you, so you're pretty much immersed in the culture, like you love the music, you've been to the concert. Uh, what about the food? Have you, what do you think about, have you tried any of the food? I mean, I know you had a Ghanaian roommate. Yeah, so, I mean, mostly just jollof. It's like my number one experience. Hey, <laughs> you know what? My next question is going to be, right? Yeah. <laughs> jollof rice. Oh, I love it. Okay. What type of jollof? So, don't judge me, but I've only ever had Ghanaian jollof. Okay. Yeah. Okay, okay, I'll, I can give you that. I mean, you, Nigerian music, Ghanaian jollof, okay, that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you should probably try, to get to try Nigerian uh, jollof also. I mean, they are pretty, both amazing, if I say so myself. I've had some uh, Ghanaian jollof when I was in Ghana. Ghana has amazing food, like, generally. Oh, really? Yeah. I, yeah. I, get to, I mean, yeah, it, every time I go over to my friend's house, it's good food, so. Yeah, they they pretty much have like amazing food. They have uh, shitar and uh, with I tilapia and like, pff, it's, it's it's crazy, man. Have you ever traveled uh, beyond outside the U.S.? So I've yeah, I've traveled a few times. Um, I haven't been to West Africa yet. That's that's on my list for sure. I've I've been to uh, South Africa before, so I had a chance to go out to Johannesburg and Cape Town. Uh, and I've also been to Europe a few times. Okay, what countries in Europe? So this was. Uh, two years ago, I went on a pretty much trip of a lifetime. It was through my grad program, actually. Uh, so we had to talk, visit tech companies across Europe. So we actually wow. did, I think it was 11 cities in 17 days. Wow. Yeah, on a tour bus. So <laughs> a lot of sitting in a bus and sleeping. Uh, but uh, so we started off in London and we hit, I, I know I'm going to miss some of them, but we hit like uh, Amsterdam, Bruges, Brussels, Paris. Uh, we went to Geneva. Went to Munich. We went to. We actually took a tour bus over the Alps, so straight from Munich to Venice, Italy. Wow. We stopped in Florence too, and then Rome uh, as well. So we we saw a lot, uh, wow. and and that was quite an experience because it's like one of those things where you know someone tells you, okay, we have 24 hours in this city, and so I'm like, all right, throw my bags in my hotel. Yeah, no sleep, man. And <laughs> sleep or sleep, sleep on, on the bus. bus. Exactly. So <laughs> that's, that's what it is. That's what it was. So you know, I was out till like three in the morning. You know. There's some cities where you just, well, I just walked around all day. I'm like, I'll never, I might never be back here. So I just want to get a sense of what that city was like. Yeah. Yeah. 
I mean, that must be fun, man. I've always wanted to go to like those some of the cities you mentioned, like in Europe. Like I've always wanted to go to Prague, yeah. um, Venice, definitely, and, and a bunch of European countries. Uh, I've always wanted to save London for last. I haven't been to London. Oh but yeah, it's... Paris, Venice, Prague, countries like that. I'm interested in visiting. Yeah, Paris was quite an experience too, especially culturally because it was the first country in that trip where they didn't speak English, and so I had a, I had a problem there a little bit. Uh, especially, I actually went to a uh, PSG game, so I went to Neymar's first game. For Paris Saint-Germain. Paris Saint-Germain. Uh, and so, a cultural thing in the U.S., especially, like, t- like your ticket is really, really important. Uh, so, when you look at your ticket, you see what row, what, what seat number. Yeah, that didn't work over there. They don't. So, at <laughs> least at PSG, they don't honor the ticket. So, like, the ticket gets you in, and then you find your own seat. See, gotcha. Uh, and so... That was a little tense because no, obviously no one came up to me and said, you're American, you won't understand this. So we're going to give you a little warning. Like it was pretty much I got there and got an argument with people who were in the seat I thought I was going to be sitting in. Oh, wait, wait. The ticket actually had a seat number, but yeah. no one really no, yeah. respected it. It was just like a formality. Or so whatever. one of those things where I actually was, I, we were probably arguing for about two minutes with the people in the seat uh, until someone around us, you know, I, I'm not sure if you've ever been to France before, but French people... A lot more speak English than they like to admit. So it's kind of one of those things they'll speak English once it becomes inconvenient for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's a guy who's sitting behind this whole thing who's like, all right, this is annoying me now. And he spoke up. He's like, he's like, it's free seating. But wait, the dude you were arguing with, he didn't speak English. He didn't speak English. Okay, so, so how like, are you guys communicating? You so were like, showing young, I'm showing him like, this is the, <laughs> like the number matches and everything. And yeah. The guy behind us after like two minutes, he's like, it's free seating. I'm like, what does that mean? He's like, sit wherever you want. Oh, that's funny. Oh, okay. Uh, And so then the really funny thing is I just, me and my friend who I was with at that time, we we actually went and just sat in the front row and no one bought us the whole game. (laughs) That's funny. That's funny. I mean, I can relate. I mean, while I was in Ghana uh, last year, I went to Abidjan. So we took a road trip to Cote d'Ivoire and they spoke French. I had to like, Bring out all the French I learned in, uh, I don't know, in uh, primary school or whatever. I was just trying to communicate all that. Oh, bonjour, bonjour. Um, I, I'm trying to, and I'll try to just like mix it with like pigeon English. Try to make the taxi driver know where exactly I'm going. Oh man. Oh yeah, but that was an interesting experience being in a country where you know, English is not the first and language. It's crazy when you realize you can actually survive somewhat in a country where you don't speak the language. Somehow humans have this ability, even when you don't understand a single thing that's coming out of someone's mouth. You can actually understand generally a lot of time what they're trying to do. Of course. Uh, I mean, what's his name? Um, the dude with the holiday, Christopher Columbus, and all those guys who allegedly discovered places. I mean, yeah. <laughs> it communicated somehow, you know, even though some of those tactics were, you know, foul. Yeah. But yeah, anyway, that's way. Oh, wow. It's been interesting, you know, getting to chop it up with you, um, get to. You know, know your story on Culture Class podcasts and stuff like that. But I feel like um, maybe you have like one or two questions about um, Afrobeats in particular, or let me not say Africa in general, but maybe Nigeria, maybe bits of parts of Africa. Um, if I have an answer or if I, I'm familiar with it, I can provide answers. But is there anything you want to know, like generally uh, about Africa? So I, I kind of want to know a little bit more about your experience coming from Nigeria and into the U.S. Like. Was that a culture shock in any way? Like, because had you been to the U.S. before you came here for grad school? Yes, so I'd been here once, um, not too far, not too long before I came for grad school, like a year or two years before. So I just came for like a ten day visit, 
Then I came back for grad school about two years later. And I always think about like, how does like, I'm sure you had some image in your mind through like, you know, movies and music and stuff of what America was like. How, how, how did that match your expectation when you actually arrived and, and moved here? Yeah, uh, good question. Uh, for me personally, I mean, I can speak for my experience. It was a little bit. Okay, first things first, my dad is a, in, was in the military. He's retired now. Mm-hmm. He was in the Nigerian Air Force. Yeah. Um, so we never, like, the, like how you were talking about Michigan, like growing up in one place and, like, getting married and dying in one place, that wasn't me. Because mm-hmm. he was in the military, he moved to all these barracks and, you know, wow. military places. So we pretty much, Nigeria is a country that has 36 states. Mm-hmm. Um, we ended up living in about, what, 20 of them? Wow. Yeah, so I mean, there are times where, because I was in boarding school at a point, and I can remember there are times where I'll go to school, uh, spend the three months doing the term, and I'm coming back home to a different city. So that happened. So I was already like used to like interacting with like different cultures and used to like moving around uh, within Nigeria. Uh, so I wasn't like anchored to one place. So my, and you know, I discovered like my dad loved the Discovery Channel. Uh, I think we watched the very first broadcast of the Discovery Channel when they started. And when wow. I told my dad that, hey, you know, uh, the Discovery Channel is actually here in Silver Spring, which yeah. is not too far from where I went to school. He was like, wow, like this is you know, what we experienced growing up. So I kind of like I'm from, you know, uh, television, media, music, hip hop, especially. I kind of like was aware of most of the things in the U.S., um, when I came here, it was a bit underwhelming. Oh yeah, I bet. for me, <laughs> for me, because I, I like to say like the U.S. is kind of like a PR machine. Like oh, they, yeah. they make everything so glamorized and like seem so you know out there. And you're like, is this it? Like, what's the big deal? Like when I went to the White House for the first time, I thought you know I'll just go there and like agents who just like pop out of the ground <laughs> and uh, one guy with a helicopter just come like it'll be like some movie and I just well, it was just like a building and you know police and stuff obviously Secret Service will be like positioned places but it's just like a building I'm like dude I don't know why I thought like this was anything more than a building it's a secure building but it's a building all the same so I don't know uh, but yeah coming here. Uh, it was underwhelming for me personally, uh, but I went there, I went out there, I made sure I tried to have as much American experience as I can. Um, I, I still haven't like been to like the South South. Um, that's something I also want to do. Um, but yeah, for me personally, it was just uh, a little underwhelming, maybe owing to the fact that I've already assimilated a lot of American culture from like movies and like, you know, music and things like that. But hey, yeah. yeah. I can, I can see that. And then, you know, I'm not going to confess to be an expert on Nigeria or anything like that, but I do know like there's a lot of different cultural groups inside. Shit, I'm not an expert on Nigeria. <laughs> and I'm Nigerian, so yeah. So I, I want to know exactly, like, because in the U.S., you know, we, we carry a lot of cultural identities with us. So, you know, I'm someone from the Midwest, but I kind of can, I'm an East Coaster now, and then I'm, you know, I'm, I'm black and I'm Jewish. Uh, so there's like a lot of you know different hats I wear in any different different circumstances. When you're inside Nigeria, is it the same kind of push and pull of you know I'm Nigerian, but I'm also from this group in this state. Or... Yeah, I would say I would say so. Yes. So um, in Nigeria, yeah, people tend to identify primarily with their tribes. Mm-hmm. So the three predominant tribes, I would say, all the tribes with the most population are Yorubas. Mm-hmm. 
the Hausas and the uh, Igbos, yeah. pretty much. So Yorubas are like people from southwestern or generally western Nigeria. Uh, Hausas are pretty much northern Nigeria. Igbos uh, are southeastern or eastern Nigeria. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, uh, people identify and uh, some some people go as far as within like the Yorubas, like some people go as far as identifying what parts of the Yoruba kingdom they're from. Oh, wow. So I'm Ijebu, I'm Oyo, and uh, but yeah, it, it can be a thing, um, like mo- most parts in Africa, because you have to remember, um, most of these tribes were their own nations yep. in the past. So they had the Yoruba nation, they had the old Oyo empire, which spread across like parts of West Africa. They had like all these kingdoms, but the Berlin conference happened yep. and, you know, Westerners pretty much divided Africa and like put everyone together, uh, uh, which is still an issue. It's still a very serious issue. Like a country like Cameroon, for instance, um, I think at one point, uh, someone from Cameroon, I'm, I'm not too sure exactly what the details are, so forgive me if you're listening to this and you're Cameroonian. But I think uh, at a point, like people from southern Cameroon were given a choice to either join Nigeria or join Cameroon, mm. I think. So that, that was kind of like, and, and these were people from like two different like tribes and backgrounds so it's a thing so yeah i would say yes uh typically in nigeria if you hear someone's name especially if you're part of like the three predominant tribes you you get you're able to tell where they're from Mm. um this generation doesn't put too much emphasis on tribe but i would say maybe my grandfather's generation um it was a thing especially with the civil war which was like on both sides um some people don't appreciate their daughters or son getting married to a different tribe. But with our generation right now, it's not really a thing. Uh, but coming out here uh, in the U.S., I mean, it pretty much bands everyone together. I, I bet. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that, that's it pretty much. But, man, I mean, we're in Silver Spring. You live in Silver Spring. Yeah. We got tons of Nigerian restaurants here. I should take you to have your very first plate of Niger Jollof. Yeah, I'll, I'll be happy with that. <laughs> get that with... Um, I don't know if they have like suya or something, but we'll, we'll definitely do something. Perfect. Yeah, cool. Uh, do, you, do you have anything you want to put out there? Um, thank you so much for coming uh, once again. Uh, you, it's, it's good you ask those questions because most times at the end of the podcast, I actually have questions for the guests. Oh, yeah. Yeah, to try to understand, you know, the culture that that person comes from, my specific question to get certain information. But for the first time, you asked me the question, mm-hmm. so that's nice. <laughs> so I've, I've uh, you know... Um, gotten to uh, share a little bit about Nigeria, but like I said, uh, whoever's listening, uh, the easiest way to assimilate any kind of culture is through the music, through the food, uh, so those are like low-hanging fruit that you can get to like. And because and for you, it seems like, um, you know, you already pretty much landed on both feet as soon as you came into America. You kind of knew what to expect in some sense. Uh, and hopefully I can get to the point where by the time I, you know, visit West Africa, I can feel the exact same way of being like, oh, I, you know, this is exactly like, you know, oh, I, you know, welcome home kind of almost feeling. I mean, you're doing a great job, <laughs> if I'd say so myself, because uh, I've, I've interacted with uh, a bunch of people and uh, not too many people go out of their way to even like discover and like just put themselves out there and things. But, you know, you've lived in New York, you, you've, you're more or less biracial yeah. and you know you've exposed yourself to other cultures so it'll be it'll be tough for you you yeah. should probably go in december or something that'll be fun all right yeah i'll have to check it out 
Let, let my boss know I'll be gone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know, right? I mean, the popular destinations is what Jamaica. Um, yeah. A lot of people in the U.S. tend to go to if they are going outside the U.S. tend to go to what Jamaica. Yeah, I would say uh, yeah, Jamaica, maybe Mexico, Mexico to Costa, like Costa Rica. Yeah, yeah, Bahamas is another big. Bahamas one. is pretty big. Yeah, so um, that's like the very like, touristy places to go. Sure. Yeah, yeah. I don't know how many people. Well, I guess people still go to the islands after the scare in the Dominican Republic a couple the, months ago. Yeah, uh, I, I know a lot of people personally who like moved to like just their trip from to like Puerto Rico or Jamaica just because of that. But I'm sure in a year or two. People aren't going to be too concerned about that. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay, man. You want to drop like your social media handles? You want to like give us words of wisdom? Want to drop like a song that's important for people to listen to? What oh, do you want to end the podcast with? Oh, man. Yeah, let's, let's, let's end this on a bang. All right. You know what I'm going to drop? I'll drop a documentary that I watched recently. And I actually had to do with Nigeria. That was one of the most mind blowing documentaries I've ever seen. Okay. It's, it's actually called The Burma Boy. Uh, and it's about a, uh, um, a That's soldier. a book. Oh, really? It was a book. Okay. The Burma Boy. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure there's a bunch of books on the subject because it was about actually a, a soldier uh, who was from Nigeria who decided to join the British Army in World War II and ended up fighting the Japanese in Burma, uh, which is now Myanmar. Uh, and so it was a really interesting journey talking about like pretty much just came up to him and he was like, "You want an adventure and get paid for it?" And he said, "Sure." He never even heard of Japan or knew where it was in the back in the 40s uh, and ended up fighting a war against people who he had no beef with himself. Uh, and it kind of talks about the power of colonialism. But there's also a lot of human redemptiveness. So, you know, he got injured and was actually helped by the local Burmese population there for a few years uh, uh, while he's injured. Um, it's one of those things I watched. I'm like, this should be like a Hollywood movie for sure, just because it's really an incredible that good, story. Huh? I mean... Yeah, he was, he, they, they actually was, he was hidden by the, a village, by some villagers in Burma for three years because the Japanese won the battle where he was injured. Uh, and so they actually had hit him until the British came back and won, won the war. Oh. And I was like, man, that's, inc- that's incredible. <laughs> I'm, tr- I'm trying to remember if that's the story exactly in the book. It's been such a long time. Oh, really? Uh, but I'll definitely, personally, I'll look that out. Is it, is it on YouTube or Netflix? Yeah, yeah. If you just go and Google uh, and, and go on YouTube and look for the Burma boy, it's, it's going to be in there. Burma is B-U-R-M-A, right? Yes. Gotcha. So put an end there and you'll see something different. Exactly. <laughs> All right, man. All right, guys. Uh, thanks for listening. Thank you for coming again, Max. Uh, you guys can follow... Uh, the conversation, follow us on social media as Culture Class Podcast everywhere uh, except Twitter. Twitter is Culture Class Pod. Uh, listen to us on your most popular streaming platforms. I'm trying to get it out to more platforms now. If you have specific questions, you can email me at cultureclasspodcast at gmail.com or if you want to tweet at, I don't know if you use Twitter, if you want to like engage with Max. Yeah, I am a so, soccer fan, so it's at Max City FC. Oh, is that a play on Man City? Yes. Okay, <laughs> here we go. <laughs> nice. At Max City FC. Okay, let me even follow you now. All right, guys. Uh, thanks for listening. Have a great day. Thank you, Nelson.